This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. This episode is sponsored by DevMountain. DevMountain is a coding school with the best world-class learning experience you can find. DevMountain is a 12-week full-time development course. With only 25 spots available, each cohort fills quickly. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure you are getting the most out of the class. Tuition includes 24-hour access to campus and free housing for our out-of-state applicants. In only 12 weeks, you'll have your own app in the App Store. Learn to code. It's time. Go to devmountain.com slash iFreaks. Listeners of iFreaks will get a special $250 off when they use the coupon code iFreaks at checkout. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 109 of the iFreaks show. Today on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Michael Ash. Hello from Fairfax, Virginia. I'm James Zuber, and today on our show, we have the illustrious Dave Verwer. Hi. So, Dave, a lot of us are familiar with you because of your email list, but can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure thing. So I've been in the kind of Mac and iOS development world for not an enormous amount of time, but since about 2006, something like that. Started off writing some kind of Mac software, and then, of course, the iPhone happened and never really looked back from there. So was very interested, of course, in kind of getting to grips with the iPhone and started up writing some apps and eventually got into kind of doing some training uh, on Objective-C. We run training courses and that kind of thing, as well as, you know, doing apps. And then had the idea for iOS Dev Weekly and started that and then kind of went from there, really. Very cool. Can you tell those of us us who aren't familiar with iOS Dev Weekly a little bit about what it is? Of course. It's a weekly email and uh, website that goes out on a Friday afternoon, or I guess it's a Friday afternoon here in the UK, but it's Friday or Saturday morning, depending on where you are in the world, which contains kind of a, a list of around about 10 or 12 links from the week in iOS development and the world of Objective-C and Swift. So it's a, a kind of digest of, of the week, really. When did the um, the email list start? So it started in mid-2011, um, actually just coming up on the fourth uh, anniversary of it. The fourth anniversary will be in a, a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, it started up around about then, and I didn't really know whether it was going to work or not. Um, I was a big fan of that style of, of email. Um, I was subscribed to a few myself, notably Ruby Weekly, which was is actually still going. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's still kind of rolling on every week. And I kind of liked the format and I had a look around to see if there was anything like that in the Cocoa and iOS space. And there, there wasn't. And so I thought, well, maybe I can do that. And it was the way it started was, was kind of, it put a little bit of pressure on because I knocked up a quick website in, you know, a few hours and tweeted out a single tweet to kind of say what I was doing. The website didn't, of course, have any content on it. It just had an email sign-up box. And from that initial tweet, over 600 people signed up. And it was a bit of a case of, oh, okay, well, I 
I better actually do this then. <laughs> and I think you just published issue 200 this last week, it was, right? it was last week, yeah. So uh, that was a, a milestone. I, I never expected it to to go anywhere, really. And the success of it has been beyond what I expected, of course. And yeah, I haven't missed a single week, uh, every single week for almost four years. Well, I know we do picks at the end of every episode, and I know that a whole lot of my picks have been ripped. <laughs> I shouldn't say ripped off, but things that I found via the newsletter. Sure, that's great. So it's been very valuable to me for that, but also professionally. I, I've enjoyed reading it every week. It's kind of easy to do as well, because the community we have here is so fantastic in publishing so much content every week. When I first started it, I was always worried that... You know, after after I published that first issue, I thought, well, by next Friday, I've got to have a whole other 10 links. And it's never once been a problem, you know? In fact, the problem is the opposite. I end up with way too many links every single week. But I, I really try not to make the email any bigger because I think that's one of the things about it that people like is that it's not an overwhelming amount of, of stuff to read. At a basic level, it's what I find interesting on a... Uh, and that's always the way I've kind of done it. But yeah, there's so much fantastic content produced every single week by, by the community. It's, uh, it's easy. So where are you uh, getting all this stuff? You just run across it during the week? People send it to you? Uh, what's your what's your process for digging this stuff up? Yeah, a mix of all of those things, really. Um, so Twitter would be my primary source. I've got a, a kind of set of people, of course, that I follow on, on Twitter. And if they're not posting it directly, they're retweeting and, and articles tend to come past my my Twitter feed. The only downside to it is it has kind of made Twitter into a job rather than anything I can ever just kind of skip to the top of the timeline, you know, because I do need to, to keep an eye on, on what's being published and what's being talked about. But yeah, people do also send me uh, things they've written or things that they've read that I might not have seen. And then, of course, I have um, a set of, of RSS feeds. I tend to use the RSS feeds as kind of a mop-up in case I missed anything. So... On a Thursday evening, I'll usually go through my RSS and a lot of the stuff in there I'll have already got saved. Um, but I always come across some articles there that I, you know, I hadn't missed or they hadn't been talked about or whatever. I wonder if at this point you get people that sort of trying to promote something that they're, they're doing. And I don't mean as a sponsorship, just trying sure. to get into the newsletter. It definitely happens and it's fine. Um, you know, it's absolutely fine to put something in front of me, but putting something in front of me is, is not a guarantee that it's going to go in. And if it doesn't go in, that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean I didn't like it. It doesn't mean any of those things. It's just there is a finite number of things that go in every week, and some get picked and, and some don't. Yeah, it's as simple as that, really. But yeah, people definitely try and put their articles uh, kind of in front of me, either via Twitter, replying to me or whatever, or by email as well. Yeah, so I, I imagine that careful editing of the things that you include is pretty important for, for keeping up the quality of the newsletter. Because I know when I read, um, I, I appreciate the fact that it's not just some junk thing that somebody wrote and doesn't know what they're talking about or whatever. You tend to have high-quality articles, and then you have a good mix of different subjects. And I kind of wonder how you came up with – or how you come up with that mix. So I think that comes really from my interests. I, I have – very broad interest in iOS development. I'm not purely interested in the code. I'm not purely interested in the design side or the business side. I, I kind of 
I enjoy reading articles around the entire spectrum of, from everything from kind of Mike's, for example, Mike's low level Friday Q&A posts, uh, linked to, to many of those in the, in the newsletter, um, right through to, there was an article I published in, or linked to in, in last week's uh, issue that was really nothing about iOS development at all, but about thinking about privacy and all that kind of, uh, it was nothing to do with, with the platform, but it was interesting to developers on this platform. And so my personal interests are quite broad. And so I tended to, when I was kind of thinking about the categories that I wanted to put things into, I, I came up with quite a broad set of, of those categories. And they've changed a little bit over time, but, but not hugely. I'm curious to know what kind of feedback you get. I imagine over the four years that you've done this, you hear from a lot of people that, that read the newsletter. Yeah, it's always nice to get feedback. Um, it's actually kind of interesting that when I started this, I didn't really think much about it, but I made a decision that I'm really glad that I made now, which is to not make it from like the email address that it comes from, to not make it from iOS Dev Weekly at some domain or something like that, but to make it from from me and use my real email address. And so sending feedback is as, as simple as hitting reply, right? And of course, people talk about it on Twitter and uh, and that's fine. And that's very nice as well. People kind of giving feedback over, over Twitter. But I get a lot of email back from people, sometimes just as simple as saying, you know, thanks for doing it, or sometimes pointing out something, you know, mistake that I've made or something like that, because of course that happens on a a reasonably regular basis, uh, or sometimes replying and saying a few words and then suggesting a, an article or a follow-up article or something like that. So again, that kind of makes my my job a little easier from getting those suggestions and feedback. And it's always nice to hear from people, yeah. So how long do you spend on a week curating the list? Some of the time is, is definitely spent just doing the reading and uh, saving the articles. And it's really hard to keep track of that time because that's something I'm doing constantly throughout the week. But I always also think that that time doesn't really count because I would already be reading these articles. Like one of the reasons I started with this was I was already reading a lot of stuff that was being published. And so I always kind of discount that time a little bit because I did it anyway. Uh, maybe I didn't quite do it quite as deliberately as I do it now, but it definitely happened. Then when it comes to a Thursday uh, evening or a Friday morning, I spend two to three hours probably putting the thing together, uh, writing the little bits of commentary, picking the final list of articles. And some of that is spent reading the articles in depth again, you know, make sure I haven't missed anything, but most of that time is spent doing the, the writing and uh, the final pick, yeah. No, it's always good to have a, a side business or actually it's going pretty well for you where you can do things that you're already going to be doing. It can't be a two-edged sword because now you have to do it, as you mentioned before, but <laughs> yeah. at least like a lot of us are reading things off Twitter and keeping up to date with things. So it's, it's good that you yeah. can, hey, that's you know, part of my job. That's what I do. Yeah, definitely. And I always try to keep it outside of the time that I would spend working on the business. Um, so when I started it, it was all done kind of evenings and um, uh, and mornings before uh, work. But sponsorship kind of changed the way that I thought about it a little bit, and it made it a little bit more of a um, a serious thing for me. So it, it wasn't sponsored for a good while, and I think I had about ten thousand subscribers at the point where I decided to accept some sponsorship, and that gave me a little bit of freedom in terms of I felt less guilty about spending what I considered work time in 
doing it, you know, because now it was actually bringing in a little bit of uh, income to the company as well. And it did just kind of, it made it a bit more of a, a serious thing for me. I was a little concerned that people wouldn't take well to the sponsorship, but actually it's been, it's been the opposite. Um, and in fact, I had several people email me after it went to having a sponsored link every uh, every week to say you know, I'm really glad that you've taken the stack to take sponsorship because that means you're definitely going to do it every week you know because it is a kind of it's definitely a commitment you know so having that money coming in from it is a good motivation to keep doing it you know yeah some people think there's a purity in doing it you know for free but the reality is then you're doing it on your your free time your nights and your weekends and most people who are doing that it'll burn out. You know, like yeah. they do it for six months, they do a great job, like, you know, I want to do something else. And they don't do it. So But I approached that sponsorship quite cautiously myself as well because I'd had several people uh, get in touch before I started taking the sponsorship saying, you know, we can we can help you get sponsors for this, we can help you do whatever it will you know, take some some money for it. And I didn't want to do that because I do really kind of care about the quality of what goes out in it and that includes the sponsored link so instead of taking some service that provides uh, sponsored links every week the sponsorship is is completely between me uh, or uh, i have someone in the company now who helps with the the, the organization of the sponsors but uh, it is is direct to the person sitting right next to me um, and the company who wants to sponsor so there's no kind of middleman putting random advertisements in every sponsor i kind of check out and just make sure they're relevant and you, you know they, they look like it's a, a decent i don't i don't test every single product but i i give it a once over to make sure that it seems relevant to my audience right that totally makes sense you're not going to want to sponsor some mortgage company or no. insurance sales you know it wouldn't make sense and also keeping it just to the one sponsored link is also something that I was very keen to do. I mean, now we include some jobs as well now, but it's still just one sponsored link for the main link. Yeah. Okay. And as a reader, I appreciate it when like, oh, this is something I would do. Like, okay, join the button WWDC party, you know. Sure. That's something sure. that a lot of your readers would be interested in. Mm -hmm. See, so that mentioned... sort of thing really makes a difference as far as whether or not readers get annoyed by it or appreciate it. If you put a little bit of attention in, it seems like a good way to bring in some money and make people happy at once. Yeah, and in fact, we've had we've had weeks where the sponsored link has been literally the top clicked link in the uh, issue. So keeping the sponsors relevant is definitely is a good thing. And you do it without any questionable tactics like making the link massive. So that's good. <laughs> sure. Again, that was that was a very deliberate thing. Like it, it just needs to be part of the the newsletter. I mean, it's clearly marked as a sponsored link. Nobody could think it was it was not sponsored uh you know it's very clearly stated that it is sponsored but it, it is just part of the regular content yeah, yeah that makes sense that's becoming pretty common for companies mm -hmm. that provide content they'll have a sponsored link but they'll integrate it with whatever else they're doing so it looks similar you could tell it's an ad it's sponsored whatever but it doesn't really stand out in an obnoxious way like you know certain mortgage ads that we've all seen <laughs> so you mentioned kind of the company, what you're doing before, and I'm not really sure what were you were doing before. What were you doing when you started doing this? A lot of our business was was training and we wrote some apps uh, and that kind of thing. And in fact, we still do a, a lot of that, but we've kind of turned iOS Dev Weekly into a little bit of a company as well. Not iOS Dev Weekly itself, but the system. So 
I used to put the whole thing together manually, and that was a case of writing the content uh, manually, putting it into MailChimp. And then as I started to kind of get a little tired of that, there was a lot of manual work in that process. It would it would take two or three hours to write the content, and then it would take a good amount of time to get it published as well. So at that point, it was bringing some sponsorship money in, and I decided that we could afford to put a bit of time into making my life a little easier. And so we developed a small system that would help automate a lot of those tasks. So now, when I come to write the issues, I log into a web system, and it's right there. I type my commentary, and I hit send, and the whole thing is just done. And so that little system was kind of live at the beginning of last year, so kind of January 2014. And it did. It saved, it saved me a, a lot of time. And actually, you know, the, the rise of this kind of style of email and, and, and website was kind of happening at the same time. And, and we decided to turn that system that was originally written for me into uh, a product. And so uh, that launched initially in a kind of limited launch middle of last year, kind of August last year, and then properly at the beginning of this year in, in January. So, yeah, we kind of turned what was originally something that might save me a couple of hours a week into it's actually a separate company now. That's, that's another company that's, that's purely uh, responsible for doing that, and it's called Curated. I'm curious to know what kind of, of customers you have for Curated. What are they... What kinds of things are they using it for? Uh, it's mixed, really. There are people who do a similar kind of style to thing, uh, style of thing that I, I do with iOS Dev Weekly. So, just either an individual or a group of individuals who have an interest in a topic and want to start putting something out, effectively just for themselves. So, a good example of that, for example, is um, the newsletter called Remotive, which is uh, all about uh, remote working. So, articles and links on. Uh, remote working and they signed up and and uh, they now run there's a group of them that do it they now run this this weekly thing which is doing really well and all the links are about remote working so that's kind of one kind of typical customer and then the other one is to use this same style of email to help promote a company so the traditional marketing email is all about the person sending it so you might get a, an email from a company and the only links in that email are going to be back to their latest announcement or their product page or something like that. And at the core of iOS Dev Weekly, at the core of all of these personally run ones, is that the content that you're sending out is genuinely interesting. Um, and that's where a lot of marketing email kind of goes slightly less effective than, than people might want it to be. And so companies can use this style of email to mix in some links to interesting articles that would be interesting to their companies, to, sorry, to their customers, as well as maybe a couple of links to something they wrote, a blog post, not every single blog post they write, but a couple of their kind of uh, best blog posts from the last couple of weeks or something like that. So a kind of mix of half marketing, half, you know, genuine kind of interesting content from other people. I'm thinking as an iOS or Mac developer, if you're trying to build or run a, an independent business, I've I've heard that email marketing or an email newsletter is really good, but I've always thought, well, nobody just wants email clogging up their inbox that, you know, is purely to market this yeah. app that they already know about. Uh, I mean, that that kind of email is effective. Like, email's amazing, right? <laughs> I love email. Of all the social media, I see email as that, you know, it's the original one, and it is a very personal 
connection, uh, connection, even though you're sending it out to, to a lot of people, or it can be, you, you, you come into the person's inbox, you come onto their phone, and it's a relationship you have to take very seriously. It's not something, you know, one unsubscribe and that person's never coming back. So I, I really like the idea of sending you email that people actually even look forward to rather than dread, you know? No, that makes sense. I think it's become very common, at least over the past two or three years, to deliberately build up an email list. And, you know, if you just provide useless information, people are going to unsubscribe yep. or hit spam, even though they sub signed up for it, they'll just do it because they don't want to see it again. That's always the, the risk. But if you provide something that your readers want to see, they're like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Then, Although people you know, people do hit, hit spam on iOS definitely occasionally as well. I don't really know why, because there's, there's only one way onto that list, and that's to go and deliberately sign up. <laughs> that's just the easiest way to get off the list. It, yeah, and, and, and it is that simple. You know, that as I say, that relationship is very delicate in some ways, and you need to treat the people you're emailing with respect. And definitely. I ran a, you know, a band for a music group email list, and... Stop sending me this spam. Like, you signed up for it. What do you want from sure. me? <laughs> like, I'll take you off, no problem. But yeah. like, the definition of spam is fluent for a lot it of is. people. It is, yeah. yeah. And what spam. you see as spam, someone else might see as useful. And what you see as useful, someone else might see as spam. So spam is just whatever I don't want to see at this moment. Exactly, yeah. So do you have trouble evading spam filters at all? I did for a while. Uh, went through a real, a real rough patch about a year after the thing started up. So now it's not a problem at all. There are a couple of things you can do to, to help, but to be honest, I'd already done them when I was hitting these spam problems. And it was Gmail because so much of the email on iOS Dev Weekly, the email addresses are either Gmail directly or Google Apps. You know, it's an enormous percentage of the people who subscribe to the list. And their spam filter took a, a dislike to me for a little while. And you'd see just a, an enormous difference in how effective the, the email was for a while. And there were some things that I did in terms of writing. So always be very careful with an exclamation mark is, is an important uh, lesson I learned. And don't use the word free, don't use the word dollars, don't use the word, you know, there's definitely some trigger words. Um, but actually, yeah, literally, uh, you know, at one point, a single exclamation mark in the issue would put it at a serious risk of getting caught in like 50% of the emails not getting delivered. That um, must be an English spam filter because, you know, don't want to show too much excitement. <laughs> exactly, yes. Whoa! <laughs> there's there's no need to go overboard. One exclamation mark per issue is good, you know? <laughs> but actually, what happened is I think Gmail got used to seeing email from me, and Gmail does some crazy stuff with their spam filters. So because it receives so many emails that go to lots of people, they actually sometimes hold back emails. They've delivered it, they've received it, and it won't go into either a spam box or the inbox until it's received enough copies of that email and knows roughly what's kind of happening with it. So it's a big black box inside Gmail. But yeah, it's, it, it kind of got sorted out a little bit of tweaking of the writing and it was uh, solved. Yeah, I've seen weird things with Gmail where if it gets flagged as spam, you'll have your links in your article, but they won't go anywhere. They remove the href. And oh, there's really? A little, there's, there's a little thing at the top saying, oh, is this spam? That I just... Ah, right. Asked. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. And, but I was like, hey, why can't I click on this thing? This is, this is useful to me. Yeah. 
So that's really interesting stuff, and I'm I'm really curious. How did you figure out the, for example, the exclamation part, uh, exclamation mark was a problem? You know, that seems like you would never be able to actually determine that. So, so there are some tools that you can use, and I I, I use them. I use the a, a service called Litmus, which does it does a couple of things. It does kind of email previews, so you can send Litmus an email, and they will show you what it looks like in old versions of Outlook and, um, you know, Lotus Note 6.5, and, and you can kind of make a reasonable way on all the email clients. And, but they also do a, a spam filter check, and they actually give you feedback from that spam filter check on the kind of things that it's failing on. So you might get a high score in Outlook for a certain uh, email, and it will tell you you've used the word free and the word dollars, not necessarily next to each other, but using those two words in an email is going to increase its score. Uh, and they look at the, the results from the spam uh, filters, basically. So th that was really useful feedback in terms of helping to fix those problems. Uh, and actually so useful that we're now partnered with Litmus to create this uh, curated product. So we, we actually kind of teamed up with them to, to make that. Have you done any like A-B testing to see what gets clicked and what doesn't to make changes? I haven't. Um, it's something that's been suggested lots of times, and it's definitely a very effective way to kind of test things out. And uh, it's very common in email, actually. But there's a couple of a couple of reasons I haven't ever done it because a lot of email goes out, and it's just about the email. It doesn't. You don't have like a web archive, uh, or if you do, it's not. It's not publicly indexed, or it's not. Um, it's not something a lot of people uh, look at. With iOS Dev Weekly, I've always been very keen to have that website that goes along with the email that has all of the archives there, every link I've ever uh, included, searchable, the whole the whole lot. And A-B testing when you have that archive becomes a little bit tricky because you don't want your audience. It comes back to that respect thing again. You know, this kind of email, I don't want my audience to feel like they're being played with, you know? And having that archive there is a great way to keep that, person honest, you know, because you do have the, the the kind of, I guess, canonical version of the email. And so it's not something I've ever really done. Dave, do you still do a fair amount of iOS development yourself or has the has iOS Dev Weekly and Curated sort of taken over? Curated definitely is a large part of my working life uh, at the moment. And as you're probably uh, guessing, it's not an iOS project because it's a web app, right? <laughs> Much as I tried to get through with our developers to uh, persuade them to use a, a service on iOS devices. They just didn't, they didn't want any part of it. So yeah, it's a Ruby app and I've definitely done less iOS development since we started working so much on that, but I do continue to write apps. In fact, I'm, I'm going to start um, uh, showing a, a, an app that, around at uh, WWDC next week to a few people, which is not quite ready for release yet, but it's almost there. So that'll be, that'll be my first shipping app in Swift, which is uh, interesting. And then, we, of course, we still do the training. So, you know, we, we, I feel like I, I still do enough to be able to talk about it, but it's certainly less than I used to do, yeah. Right, so my thinking with that was that I wondered, I, you, you seem like, I mean, from reading the newsletter, it seems like you're always very much up on what's going on and your commentary on the links is well-informed. And uh, so I wondered how you kept up. I can fake it really well. By <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still an interest. Uh, I think that's the key thing. I will, I think, be able to do this up until the point that my interest in iOS development 
fades. And that certainly isn't happening, you know. I love the iOS platform and, and the Mac platform, but to be honest, primarily the iOS platform, I absolutely love it. I love developing for it. I've I've never been happier than de when developing on on that platform and uh, and I think as long as as long as that continues I can at least still do enough that that I can feel okay about sending out a, an email every week you know yeah definitely judging by the all the grumbling I see on Twitter though you may have the Stockholm syndrome but on that but we don't know I'm not saying it's perfect by any by any stretch of the imagination but Overall, if you if you look about it, I am I am still optimistic about the platform. I still and I love I love developing for it. And yeah, there are problems, but there are problems anywhere you go. <laughs> Just a different set of problems, right? This is true. No, it's a great place to be. I'm ha I'm happy I'm happy doing iOS and Mac development. So, anything else before we get to the picks? Any other questions or anything you want to say? Uh, no, it's been it's been great. Um, it's been been fun to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been fun to hear a little bit more about what happens behind the scenes because it shows up at my inbox every Friday morning, you know, central time in the U.S. But it's a nice chance to take some time off and read about what's happening. And I appreciate someone taking the time to curate the well, list. That's, that's the problem this week, actually, because um, normally it goes out at kind of three, between 3 and 4 p.m. in the afternoon for me. Um, of course, tomorrow I'm flying to uh, San Francisco um, and... In San Francisco, it goes out at, is it 7 a.m. or 8 a.m.? So that's always a bit of a shock when, when I have to do it that week because it's suddenly I don't have all day to write it. You know? <laughs> it's got to go before it's time. That sounds like a feature for your app. Yeah, to Auto some kind of time travel. Yeah. Time travel. That's, that's a good idea. I that like might it. be past the MVP, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just need a feature where you can write it Saturday and send it the previous Friday, then you'll be... It's all set. That's exactly what I need. Yeah. So, okay, let's get to the picks. Andrew, what do you have for us? See, I've got three picks today. The first one is shamelessly taken from the last issue of iOS Dev Weekly. But I, I thought this was a... By, by shamelessly, you mean properly attributed. Yes, properly attributed. So this is courtesy of Dave and a guy named Russ Bishop. And it's a, a short little article about Swift attributes that are... Some are documented and some are undocumented, but I didn't really know about any of them, I think. Um, and some of them are, because they're undocumented, we're not exactly sure what they do. And it might not be a good idea to use them in a shipping app, but they're sort of things to investigate. Things like an inline attribute, so you can inline functions, an availability attribute, so you can mark functions as available on iOS versus OS X, you know, when deprecated versions. And that's something, there, there are those availability annotations in Objective-C, but here's how to do it in Swift. Um, and stuff along those lines. So this is some pretty interesting stuff to play around with. Uh, my next pick is perhaps not so re so directly related to iOS, but I know I, I think listeners know I've been on a hardware kick lately, and um, I'm actually working on the final hardware design for Wired In, the project that I have on Kickstarter. And I'm using Silicon Labs uh, 8051 series microcontrollers. I like them because they're really cheap. And they're really small and they're easy to program for. And I was pleasantly surprised that uh, Silicon Labs now has a Mac version of their 8051 IDE. Well, it also works for their 32-bit processors. But uh, I've just been impressed that they're they're supporting OS 10 and the tools are pretty good. They're not perfect by any means. The the whole thing's based on Eclipse and has some quirks. But just the fact that I don't have to boot up a Windows machine to program this microcontroller is nice for me, and I like it. 
And then my last pick is another hardware thing, and that is DigiKey. If you're doing hardware, DigiKey is a great place to go for parts. They have pretty much everything under the sun, and you can buy just one of something, or you can buy 10,000 of them, whatever you want. So those are my picks. All right, Mike. Well, given the time of year it is, uh, I'm going to pick ASCII WWDC. It's uh, basically all of the archived WWDC talks in text form. So it's fully searchable. If you are interested in what Apple people had to say during WWDC about any given topic, you can go there, search for it. It'll pull up all the transcripts. And uh, if you prefer video form, you can get to the videos once you know the session ID. But it's great to have this stuff in a searchable and readable format. Definitely, I ran across that this week while messing with some dynamic type, and it pointed me back to you know the collection view talk they did last year. It was very useful to go back to, like, oh, this is what they say we should do. So yeah, I've been enjoying it. Anything you can command F in gets a gets a plus from me. Yep. Yeah. If, and if, even uh, Google if, finds it. Right. Yeah, it's a great site, and and I I was I was so pleased to see that Apple kind of let it be, you know, because. I think the first year it ran, they were still the the NDA, uh, and I think it was originally brought off the the subtitle track, wasn't it? But actually, it's now they've got several years in there, and it's a fantastic resource because those videos are incredible and they are useful throughout the entire year. But finding stuff in them is a real problem, so it's it's a great site. I love it. All right, Dave, do you have do you have picks? I, I do have a pick. I'm actually not going to go with, with a kind of development-related pick because I feel like I do that every week anyway. But um, I have got something which uh, I really enjoyed recently. It was, a, it was actually a game for iOS called Lifeline. And it's a really uh, interesting kind of concept behind the game. There's been a few apps that have done this before, but the first time you launch the app, it sets in process a timeline in real time uh, of, of a story that kind of happens. And so the first time you launch the game, it's a kind of text-based game. So it's effectively a text conversation between you and somebody who has crash-landed on a moon somewhere. And you'll have a conversation, you'll make some choices, a little bit like the old adventure games. And then the guy that you're talking with, who isn't, of course, a real guy. He's just on your phone. But the guy you're talking with will say, all right, I'm going to go do this now. And five hours will pass in real time. And then you'll get a notification to say there's a new message from Taylor. And it's a, it's a really, I really like the style of the game. I like the story. And, and this kind of real-time aspect of it is, is kind of cute as well. Very cool. So I've got one pick. Now, I know some people on the show are fans of vinyl. Andrew, you're a vinyl fan. I'm not sure who else is, but... You know what's the big problem with vinyl, listening to music on vinyl? It's like you can't take it with you. You can, but you can't fit in a backpack. You can't put it on your laptop. So I, I found I found a solution for this. Someone has been recording Pink Floyd albums and putting them on YouTube. So there are a lot of levels of snark you can go with on this. This has really improved the sound. But I, you know, if you want to troll your your vinyl friend to say it sounds really great, that really that warmth really resonates over YouTube, you can do that. I I just find it kind of soothing. So if I want to listen to Dark Side of the Moon, I just go to this Vinyl's Time on YouTube, and you can sit and watch your record play Dark Side of the Moon, side one. Oh, so that's the key. They've got a turntable playing the record on the on the video. Yep. It actually shows the thing spinning around, and there it is. If you see it, and it sounds better. I think that's how it works. I think you're right, James. That's how it goes. I have a degree in audio engineering, so you have to listen to what I say. But anyway, that's it for me, Dave. Great to have you on the show. I think we're all fans. 
probably most of our podcast listeners are fans of of the list, but it was great to hear more about it and how it comes together. Yeah, thanks very much for for having me on, and uh, it's been fun. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakShow.com slash form.